Welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, our weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk with professors and scholars about the research they're doing, what they're finding, and what it means for the rest of us. I'm really delighted this week to have Professor Ahmed Saoud, who is a professor of aquaculture and aquatic science in the biology department at AUB and one of the really world's leading experts on Mediterranean aqua issues and the derivatives that have come out of his studies of uh, marine life. Um, Ahmed, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure. So you started your uh, work uh, years ago broadly looking at environmental issues with a focus on marine life and animal nutrition, and then it evolved over the years. Tell us uh, how that happened and, and, and bring us up to date on the and the latest uh, field that's taking a lot of your attention, which is how we how we can reuse waste food from restaurants or homes or uh, or whatever. But you know, take us through your journey and let us uh, be, update us on where you are. Yeah, I guess uh, it surprises me sometimes where I started and where I'm now. Really, I started off uh, as an environmental physiologist. You know, I studied the effect of uh, changing environments on the physiology of aquatic organisms. Mm -hmm. And somehow that led into studying aquaculture organisms because I wanted to feed the world and save the world. I was young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as I did more research, if you like, and as I got older, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to uh, save the world and solve all the problems of the world. I started focusing on smaller problems, if you like. And then about 13 years ago, if you uh, if you remember in Lebanon, we had a uh, very big, uh, how do you say, uh, waste problem, you know, solid waste problem. Mm-hmm. They stopped uh, collecting solid waste and mm-hmm. a lot of people started talking about it. At the same time, I used to uh, work a little bit with buildings, environment, how to to produce more food in urban areas. I know it has nothing to do with my environmental physiology, but I had to do things on the side just to stay interested. Right. I was still working on environmental physiology. So I decided that one of the things I was going to do is use waste to grow uh, food. When you say Sorry? waste, you try to interrupt. When you say waste, waste yeah, trash, trash, you're... just normal trash. We're not oh, into producing yeah. food right now. Ah, okay. Not We're... just food waste. Not just food waste. No, all okay. kinds of uh, waste. Wow. And one of the problems we have in uh, urban gardens and rooftop gardens is that they are too heavy if they use a lot of soil. So mm-hmm. I thought, why not create a lightweight media we can grow plants in that is also you know can retain water and is good for plants and so this is where i started working with waste and later on you know about a year later or two years later i was talking to a colleague of mine hamad abyad who was Mm -hmm. working on restaurant waste yes and he was like well you're working on waste Ahmad. what do you think about restaurant waste and how can we make that productive and i'm like well why don't i make fish feed out of it And this Mm. is how the idea started, really. Uh, Now, this being Lebanon, it was difficult to collect the restaurant waste, and then nobody sorts it. So my graduate students had to spend a lot of time sorting waste, which was not fun. Yeah, I bet. But But they learned learned a lot. They learned a lot, you know, but they loved the idea that we were going to take something that was going to go into landfills, cause pollution, cause... uh, 
extra greenhouse gas emissions and all that. And instead of doing that, we were going to convert it into very inexpensive fish feed that was going to help feed the world. You know, and that kept them going. That was the driver for me too. You know, it takes time, which kind of fish, uh, how much protein, how do you rearrange the nutritional value of uh, the feed waste. Here in Lebanon, the Lebanese food waste contains huge amounts of fat, for example. Restaurant mm-hmm. waste contains 29% oils. Wow. And it's nearly impossible to make a uh, fish feed that contains 29% oil. So now we have to extract the oil. And what do we do with the oil after we extract it? And mm-hmm. so the project just grows and gets yeah. more interesting. And there are always more questions than answers every time we do something. So I'm, I'm happy. Well, um, hopefully you're going to go back to your original goal, uh, fulfill part of it, which is to help not save the world, but certainly feed it or feed the animals that feed the people. Um, you, you talked about uh, fish feed. Uh, are, yes, you on, are you only looking at producing fish feed or are there other kinds of feed you can produce, say, for uh, cattle or uh, household pets or, um, you know, industrial uses or whatever? Actually, we can produce feed for any animal uh, we would like. Uh, nutrition is very similar amongst organisms. Even human, you know, some of my students today have a degree in human nutrition and moved into animal nutrition, animal feed. Right. Uh, a few years ago, I got a large grant to build a uh, animal feed factory at our research station here in Arek in the Bika. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, as soon as it was ready to start, we got the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and whatever you call it. Right. And the restaurants closed and we could not get, you know, raw material for our research. We are in the process of restarting right now because some of the restaurants are reopening. Yes. We are gathering some... uh, restaurant waste, and we're restarting right now. So we really have a hiatus of about a year. But we can produce poultry feed, cat feed, cow feed, you name it. The factory has two main machines in it. One is an extruder and one is a pelletizer. Mm -hmm. So these depend on the pressure they put on the feed as you're making it and the amount of uh, heat, temperature, moisture. Because like when you produce fish feed, it has to be stable in water. Right. While if you produce terrestrial feed, it doesn't matter if it's stable or not. It's not going in water. So right. the technology of producing the feed is a little different. But the nutritional part is quite easy. Once you know one, all you need to know is the requirements of an animal and you can formulate a feed. I'll give you an example. Our university here now has having a lot of problems importing feed for the mice and the rats for biological research. Yes. So I told them it's all right. I will produce a feed for them. And right now I'm producing feed for our mice and rats here at the university so that we don't have to spend money importing specialized feed from abroad. We produce it at about a quarter of the price, really. And... We tested it for a few months, and it's doing great. And the mice and the rats are eating it? 
they're growing, they're happy. <laughs> I saw one smile last week. Oh, wow. Uh, so that raises the obvious question. If you can move up the chain of uh, organisms, um, can you produce food for humans from the waste that comes out of restaurants and um, and even possibly one day the waste from homes, uh, institutions like I don't know, AUB cafeteria or hospital cafeterias and things like that, because there's a lot of waste all over the place. The answer is absolutely yes. However, would people accept to eat that feed? Well, I'm in the United States right now for a while, and, and I'm struck by the kinds of food that are that is available or offered in uh, restaurants and shops, and, and a lot of it is manufactured. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, artificial protein or, or whatever. There's a technical term. Um, but you, you get um, food that is not coming from the normal biological chain. That is correct. I guess one of the issues we would have is that we have evolved over millions of years to have specific palatabilities. You know, mm-hmm. we we accept specific tastes. There are others we don't like. And... Part of the foods we accept are also cultural. So you grow in a culture, you know, you grow in Mexico and you lie, you might like to eat a lot of different spices yes. uh, while you grow in, I don't know, in Lebanon. And if you have some chili in your food, people think it's, wow, it's super spicy. Yeah. When in reality, they're using paprika, which I find tasteless. Right. Now, I was born and grew up in Africa, so I eat spicy. Yes. Uh, the, so, you know, with humans, it's the perception that they're eating trash that you have to get beyond. It's the right. idea of the taste. Can we modify the taste? Because remember, we're taking restaurant waste. So we're mixing all kinds of spices and oils and proteins and carbohydrates together. Right. Right. You know. So as I said, again... I would compare it to, I don't know what they eat on the space station. Right. It's really manufactured healthy food, but I doubt it tastes very good. Yeah. Well, the, the, the way we live, of course, today is it doesn't always matter what it tastes like. What matters is how well is it marketed by the, uh, you know, the economy. And, and if, people, if people can market it well, then people will buy it if it tastes uh, okay. So, and that raises the question of, there must be commercial um, implications to what you're doing. Um, do you have private businesses that uh, you've talked to say, look, we can show you how to create food that you can sell or feed that you can sell from waste? Um, I would imagine there should be uh, commercial uh, possibilities in that, no? Well, frankly, I've never really thought about it, uh, Rami. I, yeah, I mean, you make sense, but it's, I've never really thought about it. The way I see it is I am producing very healthy and good food for people. I'm producing fish out of waste. So ultimately, you know, this being a biological system, the fish, it is not 100% efficient. So I might use uh, one and a half kilos of waste to produce one kilo of fish. But the fish is definitely edible. Now, one might argue that I could produce one and a half kilos of human food directly while I grow the fish. I'm not going to argue with that because it does make sense. It's just that I guess that would be something for the next generation of scientists. It's Mm -hmm. not what I do. 
And what is uh, your experience in terms of uh, learning from or collaborating with other people around the world who must be doing this also? This is something that must be uh, quite um, common in many countries, no? Actually, I thought it would be the day we started, but uh, quite a bit of research and looking at papers from around the world have not found that, no. I mean, only a few months ago, we came up with a review of using ways to feed animals. Mm -hmm. We found hundreds of papers on using ways to feed various kinds of uh, livestock, mainly... uh, Uh, swine, pigs, and that's normal, you come to think about it. Mm -hmm. But we only found about three papers published worldwide. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to remember that we don't read Chinese, and China does a lot of research in aquaculture, so we don't know what the Chinese literature has in it. But from Mm -hmm. the uh, European, various languages, and North American and South American, the Latin, We found three papers, and they're not going into restaurant waste. They have, well, one of them, for example, is on waste from a tomato paste factory. They're taking the leftover tomato, uh, whatever, and trying to see if they can incorporate it into fish feed. So what we're actually doing with restaurant waste is, no, it's us up till now. Wow, that's amazing. Well, another pioneering AUB venture in uh, human knowledge and science. Um, yeah, well, we're using already established science to do something new. Right. You know, we're not inventing a new science, but I yeah. find it very interesting. Let's go back uh, a little bit more broadly to the world of fish or the marine environment, the aquatic environment in which you uh, on which you focus. Uh, is there, from your knowledge and research, is there a problem with the fish? population um, in, let's say, the eastern Mediterranean? Are we having uh, shortages? Uh, Are the fish healthy? Can you tell us anything about the broad trend of the fish population? Uh, First of all, let me make clear that I'm a fish physiologist. I'm not Mm -hmm. a fish ecologist or a fisheries person, but I do read a bit about it, you know, because I have to teach in class sometimes. Mm-hmm. Look, the Eastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean was never a rich uh, fishery ground, if you like. Yes. Okay, we are what we call oligotrophic. Now, we also what is, have. What, is, what, what does that mean? Oligotrophic, <laughs> that means there are uh, very few nutrients in our waters, so okay. we don't have good populations that grow out of it. Okay. Now, that does not include the Nile Delta, there's a lot of nutrients that rise right there. So, the Israel-Palestine coastline, uh, the Lebanese coastline, and the Syrian coastline are different from the Egyptians. But again, we have to remember that in Lebanon, especially with the political situation we have, our fisheries are a bit Mm free-for-all, which means what little fish we have, we overfish and destroy. Mm-hmm. We are lucky that our neighbor in the south is much more controlled. Mm-hmm. So we do have migration from the south into Lebanon. Okay. Syria used to be much more controlled, but unfortunately, with the war in Syria, as always, one of the first mm-hmm. things to suffer is the environment. And right. they're starting to, you know, it's the, uh, how do you say, tragedy of the commons. They're catching right. left and right. And from what I hear from some scientists sometimes, is that the fishery is collapsing. They're overfishing. 
And what about the idea of uh, commercial fisheries that are not based on the natural sea environment, but uh, raising fish and other uh, edible uh, marine animals in uh, commercial tanks? Well, that's what I do. And mm-hmm. that, that is a very big thing, okay? Uh, I'm trying to encourage it. So most of my research is that when I say environmental physiology is that I study what are the best environmental conditions to grow fish in tanks. So what are the salinities? What are the temperatures? What kind of food do they like? What acidity do they like? You know, uh, how much light regime? How many times do they like to eat every day, for example? Because the number of meals affects the shelf life of the the flesh of the fish. It's that uh, intricate. Wow. Uh, Having said that, Lebanon had very expensive coastal land, Mm -hmm. making marine fisheries not very feasible, if you like. I mean, if you have a piece of land that costs $2 million, Mm -hmm. you'd rather have a, a, you know, a sea resort than an aquaculture facility. Yes. But Syria had much better valued land for aquaculture. And uh, Turkey has a lot of aquaculture on its sea. Those are our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm hoping that they start using the feed I make out of restaurant waste. And can't fish or other uh, aquatic animals be grown, raised in tanks, not necessarily on the coast, but inland? Oh, sure they can. Sure they can. Uh, it's, uh, the problem is if you need salt water, you'd rather be next to the uh, sea. So mm-hmm. we do have some freshwater aquaculture in Lebanon, mainly trout mm-hmm. inland, but you cannot really have salt water aquaculture inland mm-hmm. unless you start recycling your water and recycling your water needs electricity, and yeah. we know we don't have much of that in Lebanon. Well, that's the problem. Uh, it's fascinating how so many issues that we talk about in this podcast series with scholars uh, always often come back to the issue of governance, political governance, the role of the state, the role of local authorities, the role of regulatory authorities, setting law, enforcing law. Uh, and uh, this, this issue of uh, political governance uh, is massive. And of course, in countries like Lebanon, which is going through a series of crises, or Syria with the war or others, uh, you, you also have the added problem of the sort of lack of uh, control because it's a free-for-all, uh, as you said. Yeah. So, Unfortunately, we don't have policies. And mm-hmm. even when we have policies, we don't have policing. Right. Our enforcement. Yeah. Enforcement, yeah. So we only have a, a couple of minutes left. Ahmed, uh, back to the... Uh, project. Um, you've you had a delay because of COVID. You're now resuming again. You've set up these tanks and you're working to uh, produce new kinds of uh, fish feed from uh, restaurant waste. Where, how far are you in this process? Have you? Oh, produced, we've done uh, it. We've tried it on several species of fish, marine fish, uh, freshwater fish, herbivorous fish, carnivorous fish. Mm-hmm. Once you know the nutritional requirements of the fish, it is extremely easy to formulate something using restaurant waste. We're still trying, like, a lot of restaurant waste is not digestible with fish or doesn't have enough protein. Right. So what we did over the past couple of years is ferment our restaurant waste using special uh, yeasts and fungi to mm-hmm. make them more digestible and you know, have more protein in them. 
mm-hmm. sort of like you would ferment a bread or make beer, I guess. Yeah. And we're starting to test these fermented ingredients, and they seem to be doing much better for the fish. The fish are growing much faster using the same amount of food. We've also built a uh, big pond at our uh, research agriculture research station in the Bika. Mm-hmm. And this summer, we are testing our feed on a farm scale. You know, when I test feeds in my tanks in the lab, I have graduate students and PhDs taking mm-hmm. care of everything. You know, we manage the salinity, the temperature, the light regime, the health of the fish and everything. That does not mean that our feed will actually work in the field and that farmers can use it. So this year, that's what we're doing. We have a big pond up in the Bika. We stocked it with a thousand fish and we're testing our feed on a farm scale. Okay. And is it one one species of fish only? This year, we're testing only one species of fish. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, And and you haven't yet received any expressions of commercial interest by the private sector to perhaps take this and develop it on a bigger scale? Frankly, Rami, I have not even tried. We, You know, as soon as we knew it started working and I wanted to start contacting people, we got stuck in Lebanon because of COVID. I have not traveled in two years. I have not been to conferences. I haven't seen people, really. Yeah. Well, uh, we're out of time. The fish, uh, your students, AUB and Lebanon and the Middle East are are, um, lucky to have you and your colleagues, (laughs) other professors doing this. So thank you for uh, explaining it all to us, Uh, Ahmed. It's been been enlightening and uh, good luck with your work. It's a pleasure. Enjoy the U.S., Rami. Hope to see you back here soon. I'm coming very soon. Uh, We've had Professor Ahmed Saud, uh, professor in the biology department, specialist in aquaculture and aquatic science. And um, thank you to him and thank you to our audience, listeners, for tuning in. This is Professors at Work. Uh, Hopefully you can join us again next week at the same time. I'm your host, Rami Khoury. Bye for now.